And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Metrospective. I'm Ted Bird, joined on the line by the Athletics Mets beat writer Tim Britton. And Tim, I gotta say, I stumbled upon while searching for something about another podcast. I stumbled on a, a website that I don't know how accurately, but purported to track podcast performance. And I learned that uh, we are disproportionately popular in Great Britain, uh, that we have plummeted in Canada. So good riddance to you hosers. And that this was the this was the big the big piece of information I gleaned. Also disproportionately surprisingly popular among baseball podcasts in Finland. Yeah, yeah, that makes total sense. Obviously, the my last name carries us pretty far uh in the UK. Uh even with right. the different spelling, they they appreciate creativity. Um and you know, Finland uh I was once You're, reasonably you close are, to finland so yeah you're you know. something of a of a nordic enthusiast i believe yeah in that i've been to uh i guess i guess every scandinavian <laughs> country except finland so they're well trying to so careful careful you're gonna alienate our finnish fans uh finland <laughs> is not technically part of scandinavia uh or it's debatable whether it's part of scandinavia it seems to be a controversial subject and one we probably want to stay away from okay yeah i i Yes, I, I do not want to alienate anyone, especially not our Finnish fans. Uh, but seriously, if you are listening from Finland, thank you. And please email me. I want to know more. Um, and we could talk uh, about Finnish baseball, which I don't know if you've ever seen, Tim, but it is a, a fascinating, fascinating version of the game. How is it different? I have not, I have not seen it. It is, it is so different. It, is, it looks like I, I have described it this way before. Um, it looks like someone watched a single baseball game while on like a ton of hallucinogenic drugs and then tried to recreate it from memory like five years later. Uh, the, the action starts, the pitcher stands, home, home plate is a, is a big circle, um, the bases are in a zigzag, and the pitcher stands on home plate and throws the ball straight up in the air. And then it comes down and bounces. The pitcher, he throws the ball straight up in the air and then, then gets the heck out of there. And it comes down and bounces and the batter then hits it. Um, and from there, it's like a little more like baseball, but the bases are, are much, uh, it's like a base zone. Uh, but it's cool. It's like if, if you find, there are full match videos on, on YouTube and it's mesmerizing. Like you, you can get into it. The, the important thing though is is the pitcher standing 60 feet, six inches away, or is he maybe 61 feet and six inches away? Well, he's maybe he's trying to throw it 60 feet, six inches in the air, but he is he is standing right on the plate. It is a it is a it is it'll mess with your head as a baseball fan a little bit. Um, but yeah, that that is in the news as well. Some changes going on. So one one we talked about, which I haven't seen credited to Jason Stark, but I understood to be uh, at least his idea. One he proposed in a column 
which is having the DH, uh, and this is this is in the Atlantic League, which is being used, I think, as a little bit of a petri dish for Major League Baseball. Now they're going to have it so that the the DH is in place until the starting pitcher is pulled from a game, which I think was a rule we we both really liked. Yeah, it's actually something I've thought about even before I saw Jason write about it. I, my idea was basically that, uh, you know, you had an, an individual hitter stood in for each individual pitcher. So let's say uh, if Jacob deGrom started the game for the Mets and Pete Alonso was your DH, Alonso would bat anytime deGrom's spot in the order came up. But if you went to a different reliever, then you had to use a different huh. hitter or you could or you could um, double switch Alonzo into the game at first base and have the pitcher spot move somewhere else. Uh, so that way you could still have uh, an opener if you wanted to. You know, you could have uh, let's you know, if you're you're opening with Jacob Barnes before Joey Lucchese, maybe you make Kevin Pilar your uh, original DH uh, and then replace him with Alonzo going forward. Uh, or if you got a good long relief appearance, you could use the same pinch hitter multiple times. Uh, but this has uh, already gone over my head. I think I like the other one. That's one of the problems. I, I was actually planning on writing about it like months ago, <laughs> right around the time Jason wrote his story. And I was just like struggling to explain it to anyone. <laughs> um, so it's a good re- it's a, it's, you know, a, a flaw in most of my thinking in that, you know, I get 30 seconds in and it's over someone's head. Um, but uh, it made that's sense a, that's a good me. problem. That's a good problem. If you're if you're above everyone else's level. <laughs> Um, let's speaking of above everyone else's level, um, since Good we transition. last spoke, hey, that's right. I, you know, I'm a pro. Uh, <laughs> since we last spoke, the Mets have it. We're, we're now talking on, on Thursday evening after what was supposed to be a Mets game, but instead got rained out and will be replayed, I think in June, uh, before they head to Denver on, on Friday to presumably get snowed out. Uh, the Mets won three games in a row and now they're in first place. Do you think if they don't play another game all season, will their 5-3 and three record and 625 winning percentage be enough to win them the National League? Yeah, I mean, that's that's setting a high bar. What is what is 625 over the course of 162? That's got to be... I mean, it's, it's 160, it's, right? Because if it's 5-3, and three, then it's, it's 100. And it would be either 100... 100 and 100, 101 and 61 or 100 you know it's, it's right around uh 162 like it's right around there because if if it would be if you multiplied 50 by 20 and, and 5 by 20 and 3 by 20 it would be 160 yeah so while you were doing that i, I actually broke out a calculus on another level out, now i figured it out properly uh and yeah. the other team in the national league east would have to win 102 games uh and they don't look capable of that in the current moment. So that would be one way to win it. Uh, I think there might be some issues uh, with other teams claiming unfairness in that regard. Uh, but, you know, it's nice when you the Mets play uh, 37.5% of their season in a, a basically a 30-hour span uh, from Tuesday at 4 o'clock till uh, Wednesday at 10 p.m. Uh, and get three wins uh, in that stretch against the Phillies. Uh, you know, the, the first game... Uh, didn't look good until the end uh, in extra innings where they come back and then they carried over the momentum from that and played, I thought, really two crisp games on Tuesday night in the nightcap. Uh, and then on Wednesday, mm-hmm. the starting pitching has been terrific throughout, really through eight games. They've had one subpar start, one that David David Peterson rebounded from and redeemed himself from uh, on Wednesday. More than, I thought more than redeemed himself. I, I felt like that was a, I, that's the best start of his career, right? That was, that was an incredible start. And, and he looked just 
so sharp. It looked like he was thrown a little bit harder. He had his breaking stuff working better. I was, uh, I was really hopeful. It made me very hopeful for this season. Yeah, I think that was the best start of his his young career at this point. Like the the velo was up at ninety five, which we haven't really seen from him before. The slider, which was really good, the first start. You know, the the problem in his first start was that he was just leaking with his his four seam fastball a little bit, so he didn't throw that as much on Wednesday night. Threw more two seamers. Uh, you know, and it's it's nice when you have guys like Walker is kind of the same way. Uh, who can throw the four seam and two seam interchangeably? Like you know, if the four mm-hmm. seam's not working, they can throw the two seam, or they can throw them off one another. Uh, that's a really hard thing to do. I think that's something that that most most casual baseball fans don't understand is how distinct those two pitches are, and that uh, attempting to throw both of them in the same game can be very difficult. Like I remember mm-hmm. having long conversations with Rick Porcello during his good seasons and his bad seasons in Boston and New York uh, about basically like having those two things operate as distinct pitches. And if you're able to do when he was able to do that, he could win a Cy Young. And when he wasn't, he was giving up a lot of home runs. Uh, so uh, that's a really hard thing to do. It's nice that Peterson has a fallback fastball when the four seems not working uh, right. that he could go to on Wednesday. And that, you know, the slider and change play, like we talk a lot about Peterson's poise, which I think we've all seen, we know about uh, that's part of the reason he can bounce back against the same team uh, eight days later and pitch the way he did on Wednesday. But you know, Poise doesn't mean a whole lot if you don't have some stuff to go along with it. Uh, and he's got the stuff. I think that was the concern with him last year coming coming into the majors. Like, is the stuff major league ready? Can he get swings and misses uh, in the strike zone with his fastball? Can he get guys to chase? Uh, and we've seen over the course of, you know, what is it, 11 starts or so uh, that he does. And, and, you know, Wednesday night was the best example of that. Yeah, and I mean, if you, you know, especially considering just like the herky-jerky nature of this schedule so far, the starting pitching's been unbelievable. I mean, it's just, you know, like Stroman and DeGrom after two starts are both both have ERAs under one. Uh, Walker's been good. Like that, I, I was, you know, I think there's been, you know, concern about the back of the starting rotation, especially with, with Syndergaard and Carrasco out. And now I would say there's no concern. I, I At least that's how I feel. I would say like, if I'm assessing problems on this team, I feel like, and it's a funny thing, three wins will do. I feel like there are a lot fewer problems now than I did four days ago. And uh, and I'm just like, I'm not worried. I'm not worried about the rotation. I feel like between the guys that they have and the guys that are coming back, it's going to be a top flight type group. Yeah, the, the rotation ERA is in the low twos. I'm not sure exactly the number. It was two four five going into Peterson's start, so it lowered from there. Maybe it's like two two three or something. I, I read it earlier today and then I forgot what it was. Um and you know, one one of the issues people have, have mentioned with, with all of these postponements early in the season, you know, the Mets are going to have to play a lot of games in a, a more compressed time period later in the season. Uh one thing that makes you feel okay about that, uh is that you have the starting depth, you know, if Carrasco and Syndergaard come back into your rotation and Peterson and Lucchese are your six and seven guys, uh, you know, if you have two doubleheaders in a week that are seven inning doubleheaders, uh, you can you can have those guys be your, your 27th guy that day and give you a pretty mm-hmm. good outing in a way that, you know, you, you wouldn't trust Philadelphia's sixth starter the same way you would trust David Peterson by that point in the season, I don't think. Uh, you know, when they're four and five are, are Matt Moore and, and Chase Anderson. So... Uh, I think that's one silver lining of the postponements is, you know, by that point, you should have uh, some of your better starting pitchers uh, or more established starting pitchers back 
Uh, and so you're not like dipping into uh, bullpen games and, and that type uh, too often at that point in the season. And I mean, but meanwhile, also the bullpen has looked a little bit better. Uh, Familia's outing in the most recent game, what was it, Wednesday's game, notwithstanding, right? He, he But then Aaron Luke bailed him out in a huge way. And in general, it's been, you know, yeah, like I said, everything's just a little sunnier when the Mets win three in a row. Yeah, everything's nicer when Aaron Loop is getting the the huge double play on his first batter rather than hitting the batter to to allow to bring in a run. Uh, it's a big difference. Um, you know, I think you've you've seen um, the expanded confidence in in May Castro and Loop Familia. Uh, is still not quite there walking the leadoff guy on Wednesday, which is the thing they don't want to see from him, you know. And even it's not just that he walked JT Real Muto, it's that he fell behind 3-0 and on, on the path to walking him. And that's mm-hmm. what he wasn't doing when he pitched better uh, on Tuesday, for instance. I think 11 of his 13 pitches Tuesday were strikes. That's what you want to see out of Familia because his stuff is good. Just throw it throw it down the middle, let it dart one direction, uh, and it, it usually works right, out take pretty more well. more of the what you want. The, like the Jose Alvarado plan, which uh, he has like even less control, it seems. But, you know, the like I, I don't really know how to where to throw the strike. I'm just going to try to throw it for a strike. Yeah, it's the old wiffle ball approach, you know, just, just yeah. let, let the pitch move wherever it will. But I'm going to aim it down the middle. Uh, now, do you play did you play chair rule wiffle ball or, or just like a, a, you know, up against the garage? So uh, when, you know, we, we initially played garage, so it was these, the, the part of the wall between the two garage doors. Uh, but then when I was younger, we, we, my dad put in a pool in our backyard. So we then played wiffle ball around the pool. Uh, the pool wasn't out if you hit it into the pool. Uh, and our strike zone was a large circular like outdoor table, like a patio table turned on mm. its side. So you could throw a pitch that was like six inches off the ground, but if it hit the table on a fly, that's a strike. Um, so and did it was, you have the rule? So like a real fun rule that I didn't know about that was until I played intramural wiffle ball in college, and the rule was that if you if you threw the pitch and you hit the it was a chair. If you hit the chair without the batter swinging, it was a one pitch strikeout. Oh no, we did not. We I mean we had plenty of strikeouts because our strike zone was so enormous. Uh, we had right. plenty of strikeouts. And like, you know, I once had a game against my brother uh, where I had like 22 strikeouts in nine innings and lost because he hit a home run. Uh, so we, we had a, it was very much a three true outcome style of wiffle ball presaging what we would see in baseball years later. Oh, well, I, I can say that I had a, a three pitch, three strikeout wiffle ball inning in, in college, uh, probably the crowning glory of my, my athletic career. Um, and also played a very different variety of wiffle ball in my backyard because our home run was basically unobtainable. I don't think it was ever actually done. It was, uh, there was just a tree blocking the street where you would, the ball would have to reach for the home run. So it was like, there is a, a home run area, but it is sort of in name only. And and so you really had to like develop your it was about it was it was sort of a hard nosed, uh, you know, old school, gritty baseball that we want to see back. Yeah, my, my greatest wiffle ball accomplishment. And again, I'm very happy we brought this segment back uh, reminiscing about my athletic past. <laughs> uh, I once, so I used to play like two on two with a couple of my middle school friends uh, into high school. 
Uh, and they were both like, you know, the team that it was always the same teams. And so the, the kids that I pitched against were both lefties. So I once tried to pitch an inning left-handed uh, and I, I pitched a one, two, three inning left-handed on three pitches in which they, they took huge swings and grounded the ball right into the pool, uh, which was, you know, I located for that pool. I know. Yeah. It, it took a lot of base hits away. It was great. Great glove, the pool. Uh, and so that was, you know, just like three uh, old school Pedro Feliciano curveballs. Uh, you know that that kind of looping slider from the left yeah, side. Yeah, the wiffle ball, the big wiffle ball curveball. You know, you, you line up the seams that one. Yeah, I, I know how to throw it. Yeah, so that that was. Oh. I, I have not let them forget about that, and that that was you know twenty something years ago. Did you have stickball in New Jersey? Uh, we did not play stickball. Uh, you know, we were aware of the concept, uh, but it was not something we played in the street or anything like that. So stickball was big where where I grew up on Long Island. We we had like, but it wasn't the stickball you see like in the old timey pictures. We played like throwing as hard as you could with a tennis ball against a, a chalked strike zone uh, on the side of a on the side of a school. Very fun game. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Uh, We should talk more about the Mets. The offense seems to be coming around a little bit as well. Uh, You know, most of it is Brandon Nimmo, but Luis Guillorme getting on base a ton, making a little case for himself to, to keep playing time once J.D. Davis comes back. Uh, we could talk about the logic of that because I, I, to me, I don't know. Um, and then, and then James McCann chipping in with a home run, uh, and and you know you start again. You start seeing, okay, yeah, this is the offense I was psyched about a week ago. Yeah, I think the the verb that I I was I used yesterday or, or Wednesday was percolate. Like you can see the offense percolating uh, and starting to build towards something. It, it has been Nimo basically by himself until you know, Tuesday's eighth inning, essentially. Uh, and then, uh, you know, you've seen Alon- Alonzo got the big hit in Tuesday's first game. 
Uh, you saw I mean, Nimmo had a, a few big hits uh, on Tuesday's nightcap. Jonathan VR chipped in, but then on Wednesday you had three uh, a three hit game for Dom Smith, uh, and he had also homered earlier in the week. Uh, Francisco Lindor is starting to hit the ball harder, uh, so you're starting to see the depth of that lineup come to play. Where you know McCann hit that, that home run out of the seven spot. Uh, Jeff McNeil is still hitting the ball hard, even if he's not getting quite the results that he would like. Um, mm-hmm. So you're, you're starting to see like what this offense can be. I think they've still only scored more than five runs once in that the one eight run game they had against Philly when it was basically Vince Velasquez walking everyone. Uh, but right. uh, you're getting a sense for for when the offense is clicking that man, it's it's going to be really tough because you're going to have someone of uh, Michael Conforto's ilk or Jeff McNeil's ilk hitting sixth and seventh on a daily basis. And, you know, for for all that they've struggled now after those games, uh, you it's you don't want a team OPS of, of 726. At least we don't think so. We don't really know how the what the ball's going to do this year. But a team OPS of, of 726 right now is, is good for fourth in the National League. So after all of that um, concern or whatever about their, their early offensive funk, I think... It's pretty clear they're coming out of it, and and they are going to cruise. They're going to cruise now. Yeah, it's been, it's been weird looking around, looking around at, at how different National League teams are performing. No and optimistic, per, no optimistic prediction I've made about the Mets has ever not come true. <laughs> I mean, Dom Smith is is how many? He's he's within seventy three. Two two to yeah. He's uh he's so he's not quite on he's not quite on the seventy five pace at this point, but he's got two. So he's closing in on it. Um, yeah. I think we can we can officially put the countdown on the Pepsi. I'm oh, sorry, the Coca Cola corner. Uh, we yeah. could we could have the countdown working soon. Um, but yeah, like look, looking around the National League, and I think I was I, you know since I wrote our power rankings, I was looking at all the the, the teams uh, and just the the overall offensive numbers that you see. There's so many guys hitting below 200. Uh, like the Braves, you know, it's like Ronald Acuna has a a 4,000 OPS. Uh, and no one else on the team has reached base all season. It's it's a remarkable achievement that they've got going there. Um, there's just a lot of teams that that haven't put it together. The Cubs, I think, have been worse in runners with runners in scoring position than the Mets had been uh, earlier in the year. So uh, there's just a lot of uh, offensive volatility going on. There's really no one outside of Cincinnati uh, has been hitting the ball consistently well, and even the Reds have have tailed off a bit. It's a it's a bit of a small sample size, you might say. Uh, right now, the Padres have a two point four eight team ERA, and the Cardinals have a five point oh nine team ERA. There's you get you get broad ranges at this part of the season because it's all it's all so few games. Um, we have a an interesting question from a reader that I'd like to pass along. Um, it's from Aaron. And Aaron wants to know, he said, I thought the conversation you and Tim had about the Conforto hit by pitch was really interesting. I agree with your views on the importance of integrity and that leaning into a pitch is wrong. I don't know if I said anything about the importance of integrity because that's not something, I don't know, that's not something I normally put a ton of importance on. I just think it's, I just want to be clear, like, I just think it's it's lousy. It's just, it's not the aesthetically that's the sport I want to watch guys leaning into pitches. Um, but he wants. He says, "I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on why pitch framing is treated so differently. Framing is essentially tricking an umpire into making the wrong call. Despite that, framing is seen as a valuable skill, and catchers are evaluated based on how well they frame pitches. Why is this accepted, but leaning into pitches is reviled? They both seem to be improper advantage seeking. Would love to hear what you guys think. Do you have an answer for this? Because I, I this is something I have previously thought about uh, quite a bit." <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, you suggested you were passionate about it. I am not passionate about it. I would say it's basically because pitch framing is subtle, uh, and oh. because it, uh, you know, like we yeah. don't we, we can we can put a number on it now, but we we didn't for the longest time. It's not like you know. Reggie Miller, when he was uh, playing for the Pacers, you would see always like trying to draw fouls by flailing his arms everywhere, and that that just bothered uh, Knicks fans everywhere uh, and and basketball purists. Uh, pitch no framing doesn't. A flopper. No one likes a flopper. Pitch framing doesn't come across that way, right? It doesn't come across like you're trying to sell it to an ump that much. And if, when you see a guy who like uh, tries to do it a bit more uh, egregiously, like you know, take a pitch that's three inches outside and like swing your arm right back into the zone. Uh, I, th- I think you get you, a fan would roll his eyes at that. It's really because it's just such a subtle movement uh, that you almost don't pick up on it as a fan unless you're yeah, really you don't get for you it. don't get that call because the the umpire resents it if you do that and then you don't get the call. Like in fact, like within thirty seconds of my reading Aaron's email the first time, it was with uh with Ty Walker on the mound and he threw a pitch like right. It was a borderline pitch right at the bottom of the strike zone and. Uh, and McCann, I think it was McCann, pulled it up like so quickly into the zone that I almost felt like it cost Walker the call because it, it felt like he moved a little too much. Um, I think my answer is that flopping in another sport or the hit by pitch is a little bit different. But in there's not really a strong... There's no good comp for balls and strikes in other sports because balls and strikes are a judgment call that is going to be made. Like it is, it has to be made. The the if a pitch is is not swung at, then the umpire has to determine whether that is a ball or a strike. And so by framing the pitch, the the catcher is trying to uh, take best advantage of of the you know his positioning in the strike zone to get that call to get that borderline call i don't think it's reasonable to ask a catcher to say oh like that that looks like it's out of the strike zone to me so i'm not going to do a good frame job on this because the catcher's job you know what they're trying to do um if you talk to the catchers about framing is is move as little as possible and just you know and and you know sort of keep the pitch where it is and 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 if there are different ways you can emphasize with body language where it is um, it, it might help a little bit, but I think that, um, you know, like you said, it's a, it's a very subtle thing and it is attempting to influence this call that has to be made one way or the other. Whereas if you were sticking your, your arm into the pitch or if you are flopping, you are like trying to affect a call that otherwise would not exist. And so I think that's the difference that, I think it's almost unreasonable to expect guys not to try to frame pitches. Like I, I think that um, because it's going to happen, like it, it's only natural for for catchers to do everything they can to get that call. Um, just like like a, a, like a base runner who on a close play at first base, you know, throwing his arms out in the safe motion to to try to like like as if it's going to subtly indicate the the umpire's uh, call. I think it's an instinct thing. Um, I don't know. It's just. To me, it feels like a, a distinctly different act than breaking the rule. Like, I mean, what Conforto did broke the rule, um, and so he shouldn't have gotten first base for it. But, but even and even before before flopping was against the rules in in, in or you know some of the rules in in, in college basketball and in, and in soccer, um, you're trying to create a penalty where none should exist. 
Um, whereas there's no penalty to a ball or strike. It's just this is a call that's going to be made one way or the other. And I think the the thing that probably sticks in people's craw about the Conforto thing and like the uncharitable reading of that is that he did not feel confident enough in getting the hit himself that he, he decided to stick his elbow out there. Mm-hmm. Like we talked about last time, there's there's not enough time uh, between the pitch being thrown uh, and, and Conforto, Conforto's elbow getting there for him to like consciously make that decision uh, and go right. through that thought process. But I think that's how, you know, I don't listen to talk radio too much these days, but I think that's how talk radio would read something like that was like, it's a clear sign of a lack of confidence that he's, he just wants to get on base that way. Um, so that's the uncharitable reading of it. That's the why. That's, that's the reason it, it feels worse. You know, like how different would we be talking about Michael Conforto's start to the season if that's a clean base hit to right field? Or even yeah, it's a he, walk-off hit. Or even if he gets walked in that spot, if he lays off some good pitches, uh, it's a different feel to it. So uh, I think that's why that instance, you know, in particular sticks out to people as, as being uh, just like not a fun way to win, as we talked about. Well, and Conforto is so very much in the spotlight right now because he, you know, his contract is sort of, I think, on a lot of people's minds. Uh, I had suggested, you know, the the game log thing um, for for the nervous, um, you know, just going through baseball reference game logs and, and trying to find, you know, five or six or seven game stretches where he's been that bad. Um, I have since done that. It is extremely easy to find five <laughs> or six or seven. So like um, the, the, I think the last five or six games of last season, he was he had a rough five games. Um, no one, no one was like, oh, we we need to wait out to see if Conforto's right before they sign him to an extension because he had those five bad games at the end of last season. Um, just as no one said that even as early as. April 24th to May 2nd of 2019, when in an eight-game stretch, he went three for 24 with 11 strikeouts, a 489 OPS. Like, I, I still think, and, and I, I understand the case, oh, he's pressing, he's got the contract talk in the, in the, in the airwaves or whatever, like, he, it's on his mind, he's trying to, uh, I get it, like, I think it's natural to read things that way, I just, I can't believe that that's what's happening, because it's too few games for to say that it's real, and because Conforto has just been too good against across his career to say um, there's no chance if if he could press over this, there's no chance he and that's really the issue. Then there's no chance he hasn't pressed before, and if there's no chance he hasn't pressed before, then there's no way he hasn't overcome that in the past. And so I'm just naturally moved to think he will overcome it, and soon because that's what good baseball players do. Yeah, I mean, he's always been a streaky hitter, right? Like, he's always gone through stretches like this, and then he he bounces back with a stretch where it doesn't seem like he can make an out. Uh, The difference last year, which was only in 60 games, was like he didn't really have that two-week stretch where he he looked a little bit lost. You know, you mentioned Mm -hmm. right at the end of the season, then he got got hurt uh, and missed the last, like, four or five games or whatever it was. Uh, But other than that, didn't have, like, that fortnight where you weren't sure what he was going to do at the plate. Uh, it was more of uh, the hot stretch for most of the season uh, that that he carried through, uh, and so that's the question about him: is you know, was 2020 a just a prolonged period where he was he was hot more or less for two months, 
uh, or was that a, you know, kind of what you can expect from him moving forward? And that's the distance between like the team asking the question and Conforto and his representatives probably saying, well, of course you can, this is the guy you can see going, going forward. Like he did it for the full season, regardless of how many games that full season was. Uh, and he's been good enough in the past for you to believe that at this age, he has just hit uh, his prime. Uh, so that's, that's why I think 2021 is so interesting for him is it, it kind of hammers down like who he is as a player, whether it is, you know, the full breakthrough Michael Conforto of 2020, or it's just the really nice player uh, that he's been before that. Well, I have a feeling we will talk about Michael Conforto again in the future. Okay. I, I, you know, I wasn't sure if we needed to get it all out now between, you know, before. Do uh, do Because like, I, I feel like this will be a topic we discuss again. Yeah, that's probably true. There's only so many guys on the team, I guess. And we do do this <laughs> uh, twice is, a week and they, they play like one, they play, they only play twice a week. So, yeah. Um, so maybe, so next show, if, if there's a game, if there's a game, we'll say Michael Conforto hit three home runs in this game. I think we're past it. Or we'll say Michael Conforto struck out twice in this game. He has even mired more deeply into this horrible funk. Um, but again, it will still be. Um, only nine games into the season because they're not going to play. They're not going to play three games in Colorado because they don't play games anymore. I'm trying to decide how, like the extreme cold that they're, they're well, not, not extreme cold. I guess the, the, the weather on Saturday is supposed to be uh, like 20 and maybe even lower than that by the end of the game uh, in Denver. Uh, like whether that uh, helps out pitchers or hitters more because I'm trying to remember like the early you know, the, the late March Little League games in the cold weather, uh, I feel like it just led to a lot of walks. So I think you can extrapolate like from my Little League experience. You, yeah, yeah, a lot of stinging. If you if you hit the ball poorly, it hurts a lot. Yeah, like I think everyone will be wearing batting gloves uh, all around the park uh, uh, on even Saturday Lu- Even Luis Guillorme? I think we might even see Luis Guillorme in batting gloves. That'll be interesting to watch. I'll have to I'll have to watch the game specifically for that on Saturday. And this is something else I'm sure we'll talk about more. But before we go that real quick, because I teased it earlier, when is JD Davis coming back, and will Luis Guillorme continue starting at third base? So Davis is eligible to come off the injured list on Saturday, uh, and Luis Rojas said on Wednesday, uh, or sorry, on Thursday. So many days in the week uh, that Davis could be back as soon as Saturday. Like they could be activating him that first day that he's ready, uh, even though he hasn't seen live pitching since he's been on the IL. You know, his last live pitching was uh, when he was last in a major league game. Uh, You know, ideally you would like a guy to see live pitching before he comes back, but they don't really have that possibility. uh, Can they not do that at the alternate site? Well, I, I think it's because he wasn't ready for it before they were flying to Denver. Um, uh, and so it was, it was kind of, if he did it at the alternate site, then he has to fly on his own. And if he flies commercial, then you have to, you're not allowed to be like right in with the team right away. Uh, so that's the issue oh, there. Man, what that's a complicated mire, what a world we live in. I mean, <laughs> good. That's good. That's a good thing that he's, that they would have that protocol, right? But. Um, I forgot all about it. I didn't, you know, you don't think about these things when you just want to see the baseball players come back. So, and and with Guillaume and VR, I mean, both of them have played reasonably well while Davis has been out. VR had the, the couple big hits on Tuesday. Guillaume's mm-hmm. on base percentage, I think, plummeted down to like 500 because he had he took an offer on on Wednesday night. Uh, but oh, otherwise, no, he's, he's up to like 530, I think. Okay, is it? Okay. I knew it was like 727 at one point. 
Uh, and he, yeah. and he's played a really you know a, a fine third base since those the the early couple of errors that he made that that didn't seem characteristic. He made a great play. Uh, I think it was on Reese Hoskins on Wednesday night throwing across. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, you know, I think Davis is still the guy there, but I don't think he's going to be a seven out of seven starter there on the you know every week. I think it's probably going to be like he starts five times, uh, and you give Guillaume or VR some starts in there as well. And, you know, Mm -hmm. also eventually when you get to the point in the season where the Mets will be playing more than a handful of games a week uh, and they start playing every day for extended periods of time, uh, you'll see other guys who are normally starters get days off. uh, And that will help. You know, like we we haven't seen Albert Almora Jr. start a game yet. Uh, Tomas Nito has only started the one game that actually happened. Um, Right. So it's been tough you know, it's been tough for Rojas to get some of those backups in action and some of the, the back-end guys in the bullpen. Like Robert Gazelman has not thrown a competitive pitch since the end of spring training, which was uh, like two and a half weeks ago. Uh, so it's been tough for those guys to stay sharp. Uh, and I think we'll see more of a rotation, especially at a position like third, uh, as we start to get them playing a bit more consistently. Well, and it's going to be a good thing to have when they have to play like 90 games in 30 days to end the season or whatever it is. Yeah, like the Cardinals last year. You know, you, you need that positional uh, position player depth and pitching depth uh, when you get into those stretches. I think they've got a stretch already where it's like 31 games in 30 days or something uh, in, around June. So that will uh, that will test them out. Uh, but, you know, they, they pursued a lot of depth in the offseason, and this is why you do that. Uh, so you're ready for those spots. And this is why you have a, a guy like Yorme and a guy, right? Like why it's useful to have both a guy like Yorme who can play everywhere and be a convincing defender everywhere and, and fill in wherever you need it. And a guy like Davis who, um, you know, I mean, I think you'd rather have him be an elite defender and be able to play everywhere. But I think, um, you know, you can sort of take on a guy like that when you have the defensive options in, in your pocket to to replace him late in the game or if you have a heavy ground ball pitcher or, or for whatever other reason um and and still keep jd ba- davis's bat on the team and in the lineup as a as a net positive yeah and i think what they decide to do at third base long term uh or even on a daily basis doesn't always hinge on how those guys specifically or individually are doing it, it depends on like the lineup as a whole if you've mm-hmm. got seven other guys in the lineup who are just mashing uh, then you know it's a little easier to start Luis Guillorme uh, and give away a little bit of the offensive potential that Davis has uh, and the power and the slug uh, and play Guillorme instead for the defensive value he brings. Uh, if your team is in more of an offensive slump like the Mets had been earlier in the season, then you probably want to get Davis's bat in there to potentially spark them. Uh, you know, that's kind of it's not just a who's better at baseball, J.D. Davis or Luis Guillorme. It's who's the better fit for today's lineup and the lineup going forward. Uh, and that, that brings some other factors into it. Well, uh, I, I look forward to seeing how it plays out. And Tim, uh, I look forward to talking about all of this more next week. Yeah, let's, uh, let's talk about multiple baseball games next week. Let's hope so. Uh, you can ask us questions. Thanks again to Aaron for his question. Um, if you email me at asktedberg at gmail.com, uh, we will probably answer it. Uh, you can get at Tim on Twitter at Tim Britton. I am at OG Ted Berg. Tim, as always, thank you and peace out. Adios.